and welcome to episode 47 of the 1099 for the week of June 20th, 2016, post-E3 wrap-up show. I did not get to do one of these last year. We did a pre-show, so you had to wait an entire goddamn year to get the post-show. Uh, as always, I am your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the person who was on the first episode of the 1099, uh, as well as the first ever pre-E3 show. Uh, it is freelance extraordinaire Miguel Concepcion. Miguel, how are you doing today? Very, very good. Well, wait, I'm lying. I'm actually, I actually feel like shit. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to say you're good, but actually, um, I'm really under the weather. I already, I know I already infected my wife. So after, um, this podcast, we're going to go and get some Chinese rice porridge. That sounds great. So, yeah. That's like <laughs> yeah, a well, great benefit of being sick. Yeah. No, yeah I, um, funny. I'm at this, I was not at the show this year, uh, but this was probably one of the most exhausting E3s I've ever done. I've been to the show once, which is, not enough time uh in 2013 when there was that crazy sony press conference with like the price and the sharing video and that was really you know fun right. and exciting and exhausting but uh being a part of a team that was you know saying hey we're making a video game with sony uh it was a lot of me i'm on the east coast there's a lot of me staying up longer than i should have because i was just doing shit uh so it's it's been it's been super fun i felt really guilty that um i did I did see all your tweets about your game, but I didn't have time to actually see it. No, I, I, I totally get it. I was like talking to some press to be like, you should see this game, but didn't want to push it too much. I kind of wanted it to happen organically. Uh, it sure. was really cool to see. It's been, and we'll, I can get into this at some point on a different podcast or later today. It's been extremely weird to be on the other side of all of this, yeah. uh, where I'm reading previews of something I'm working on compared to writing previews of other people's stuff, and I'm working with people who I've like written alongside to be like, Hey, you should do this and let's set up this. And like, I was working with Alex Navarro to get, uh, our art director, Rich Smith on the giant bomb live show. That experience was super crazy and weird. Cause he made it on. It was, it, it it's been a roller coaster, but you were there for GameSpot. This is the second year in a row that you've been exclusive yeah. to them as a freelancer. So what exactly did you do at E3? I mean, did you get a chance to host, some of their live shows, interview any people, walk all over the floor. What was the GameSpot freelance experience like? Um, from from the vibe I got, it was a lot. Uh, just to, I mean, much of it was taking care of a lot of booth appointments that the full timers didn't uh, didn't have time mm-hmm. to um to cover. Plus, certain uh game genres I was very familiar with, and uh, probably more than some of the other full timers. So you know, mm-hmm. they gave me a lot of EA Sports stuff to cover. Let's see, uh, things that, you know, are pretty high on the free, on the full timers priority list, like, uh, Sonic Boom. And, uh, I did split, uh, I did share a Capcom booth appointment with, with Zoreen. She's out of the Australia office. Oh, and yeah. That was a lot of fun. Um, I also happened to help out, help out the team, like holding a spot in the much coveted, uh, Last Guardian hands-on demo in the sort of the hospitality suite. It was really bizarre because A, it was a 45-minute demo. I was going to say, that demo was long from what I heard. Yeah, and it was, they only had two stations. So. That's um, a mistake. Yeah. Well, it was a case of, you know, they gave me just enough appointments where I felt like I had time to run to the war room, type up my previews in between appointments, but there were also some gaps where, like, say, if GameSpot didn't have appointments with, like, this big publisher until, like, Wednesday, they had me come on Tuesday to see if we could, I could just, like, drop in and maybe get a, help the team get a head start. I wasn't planning on do, doing any, I wasn't planning to do any on camera because last year they didn't have me on camera, but they actually caught me by surprise by having me, um, go on camera for a Forza, a Gran Turismo, um, piece that it's already up on, on YouTube. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad that uh, the viewers were more puzzled. They were more puzzled about the fact that we were comparing Forza Horizon Three with Gran Turismo, as opposed to you know commenting on who like who who the hell is this guy? That was that's always a good thing. You don't want like the the live chat and the comments to be like, why is this guy here? Please bring on Danny O'Dwyer. Right. Like you, or you, you well, want it to be about the game and not the people doing talking about the game itself. <laughs> I mean, there were more. Com- I mean, there weren't any comments about me, but there were like three about like Mary Kish, like passing by in the background, really quickly. <laughs> and um, I mean, that's it's super cool to have those on camera 
experiences, especially if, again, if you're a freelancer and you want to keep building your portfolio, on-camera stuff, especially for a site besides GameSpot, is invaluable. Yeah, um, especially when I was always in the, I was always on the production side, like a whole career ago. And so it's nice to just get some practice in that. Um, rewinding a couple of days, I mean, before the show floor opened, I mean, my responsibilities in the first couple of days was, um, just, you know, the whole, the whole workflow on Sunday and Monday is that for each press conference, the whole team just corrals around one TV in the war room. And then Justin Haywald, our news editor, essentially like, uh, which with every meaningful announcement, he points to us as for, for a volunteer to like write about what was just announced. Yeah, and so um, you know that was a, that's uh, obviously a more sort of like uh, intense period, and so I um, you know it was great just to be you know a participant, and yeah, uh, the fact that I had done it the previous year also you know helped me be familiar with the team and also the workflow and also the scheduling of all the amenities namely you know food coming in and all that so I, I try to be frugal and you know partake in whatever they had yeah and it's um it's a smooth running ship they have this down to kind of a science at this point where of course i was watching a lot of the GameSpot live stream demos because our game ended up getting one of the spots so i was like trying to understand exactly the format so i can help brief the guys beforehand and you know i was watching of course ours and uh they again they have it down to a science where it's I don't know how they even do it because you're seeing so many different people and I don't I would doubt you have a lot of time to prepare exactly to know all right what are you showing who is this person what's his experience and like that in general has to be a sort of hustle that is definitely a learned skill you can't just be thrown in and be like all right you're going to talk to this developer of this indie game you have 5 minutes to prep and go right and it also a lot of a lot of fans you know um I think the fans should appreciate it, but a lot of outsiders don't appreciate the fact that not only were they having the interviews in the in the press room, but they were also having this, uh, the demos or the, in the interviews at the booth as well. Yeah. So there was like, like, it was like a dual video presence. There was, it's huge. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, IGN, GameSpot, uh, Twitch in general, like you look at all these demos going on all day. It's, it's a very different, it's different than how I experienced E3, which of course wasn't holed into a certain spot. You, travel the show floor and this year what i had heard again i wasn't there but the sense i got from a lot of people was just an overall there's more space there was more free space at e3 than there has been in quite some time we know of a lot of different publishers different uh, players who had kind of pulled out of the show um, downsized to a certain extent to you as someone who's been to e3 multiple times did the show floor feel a bit emptier oh absolutely and um given well all you had to do was you had to go to uh South Hall, which mm. was, which is usually was dominated by the, th- uh, the third party publishers. And all you have to do is just walk to the, the sides of that hall. And it's just tables and chairs. And, uh, I mean, on rugs, it's, it, it was pretty, um, I wasn't surprised given, I mean, knowing like how many publishers were not participating, but, um, in terms of, you know, wondering about, E3, I mean, E3's relevance in the future, I mean, you could go with just that by, by walking into South Hall. And I could understand if someone will be skeptical. At the same time, apparently, um, they report, I think the ESA reported an attendance of 70,000, which I I don't think I've ever heard it be that high. I was going to say, um, I thought it was usually like closer to 50 or 60. Yeah, and, that, and now you're dealing with fewer things to see with more people. So... Uh, I, in a way, I almost uh, should have expected just just to be like, things to be super super crowded. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't feel any more crowded than any other year, but it was nonetheless it was crowded. Sure, it's definitely bizarre to think about that. Uh, we I mean, you talk about the viability of E three moving forward when so many publishers can kind of just have their own live streams or have their own events for releasing. It depends on how big the game is and if it warrants that size. But with streaming and video being so much bigger, it seems like you can kind of present games in a different way that does not require this exorbitant budget for something like that so i mean it's hard to sit here and talk about like the health of e3 and saying like is it gonna go away but there was a strange feeling for me where i'm like i wonder like i was like i really want to go next year but like how big is e3 gonna be next year And if i can't make it next year let's look at 2018 (laughs) like what is e3 gonna be do you see this trend continuing downward do you think there'll be a resurgence like what's kind of your your outlook for it 
I if I if I were a betting man, I would say that um, it's probably going to resemble this year's, so it will still be worth going. Yeah. Um, a I won't be surprised if another major participant on the same level as EA um, pulls out, whether they're not doing E3 at all or they're not going to be at the LA Live area. But you know, I think. Um, I think if if some if a company of the caliber of like Bethesda or Ubisoft pulls out, then I think that would be some cause for alarm. I um, think one of those absolutely because that would also mean an entire press conference being kind of axed from it if someone of that size would do it. I mean, and conversely, what does that say of the people who of the companies who want to take advantage of like you know they want to take advantage of the fact that there's going to be less noise to compete with? Then maybe you will, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I just sort of like think of like uh, that would be an opportunity for Sony or Microsoft to just be that much more louder with their press conferences or their booth presence if um, there's just uh, less news to compete with um, that week next year. I think it's a great point because you mentioned that there was you know seventy thousand or so people there, so a high number of people and fewer things. So it does shine a brighter light because we're used to uh, publishers getting out ahead of E3 sometimes with different right. announcements happen this year. Uh, where it's like, hey, here's our game, and we'll have a demo at E3 instead of saving it for those press conferences. Where, you know, let's say if if something showed up at Sony's that was announced the week before, it's like it might get overlooked by the announcement of God of War or all these other all right. games. So maybe if more people continue to pull out the the big heavy hitters who are there, they will get just a brighter shine. Yeah, and you know they they've already gotten they've already gotten into a really good habit of. Um, announcing things like in a couple of weeks before E3, whether and that also doesn't even include include leaks. So um, it's they, I guess the uh, the PR marketing, you know, they've uh, they're at least the experienced ones. Uh, I mean, know what they're doing in terms of uh, just trying to time their announcements. What was the VR presence like? It's it's something that I mean, we have Five is out, Oculus is out, and I, I PlayStation VR is. Soon, it's shockingly soon, and I, you know, I'm dealing and working with a game that is not exclusive to VR, but is uh, built with VR in mind. So I'm, it's important for me to know like what's the landscape like, and people seem interested in PlayStation VR from what was there. There are enough games that actually look like real video games for VR, but I mean, do people? Was there a lot of VR stuff there, and do people seem to care? Um, I believe, I mean, the general vibe I got is that people cared. Um, the presence, the sort of the footprint that they have was sort of what I was guessing it would end up being. Um, the, the amount of real estate Sony did put in for the VR was generous, I thought. Mm. And, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's gonna, it's still gonna be timely if you can get like Max Parker and Jake Baldino to do a podcast with you in the next couple months yeah. and just rewind back to their tales of the Naughty America booth. Oh, what? Uh, because I didn't, I didn't have time to check it out. Was that the uh, VR porn booth? Yeah, it's the, you know, the porn publisher. Man. Right? Yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't know if you want to pretend, it, yeah. you know, if you want to pretend you don't know what it is. I did, that was, that was genuine. <laughs> I did, there was a great video gamer, uh, video of, Simon Miller and uh, Jim Trinkai doing like the VR porn, uh, but I did not know the name of it, so that was not an act. So wait, you but you are aware of the, of the brand Naughty America. Well, now I'm not. I was not aware of it before this, actually. Shock okay, me. all right. Well, no, you definitely. I thought you could do a lie detector test on me right now. This is some real okay, shit. You should ask. You should ask uh, Max and, and Jake. Um, who I'm on the side of Jake talking about porn, but I, now I kind of <laughs> feel like I have to. Well, I mean, on a side, and you probably saw our tweets. Uh, we ended up doing one of those uh, escape room games themed on uh, this uh, this puzzle game by Axis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we ended E3 doing that, and that was a lot of fun. And yeah. Max Max had his first ramen. First? Yeah. Really? Really? Man, he is so uncultured. He's yeah. from Pittsburgh. You should have seen. You should have seen Jake walk into. He'd never. I think he's he's gone to like quote Asian markets before, but the um, the Japanese uh, market we ended up at while we were killing time before our escape room. He was quite blown away. I mean, it was. I saw the picture and it was worth yeah. it. His his face was just like, <laughs> what have I walked into? How have I never seen anything like this? It's yeah. Those kind of experiences are fun in E three. We uh, when I went for my first time, we stayed in Koreatown uh, mm-hmm. and just had like the best. 
Korean barbecue and all this stuff. And it was just like this awesome cultural experience outside of E3 that, again, if you're listening to this and you're considering going, I, you should get to E3 before E3 stops being a thing. I'm, I'm right. exaggerating a bit, but it's definitely worth going and experiencing that kind of stuff because there's so much there. I mean, I will say that, yes, if this was um, the last worthwhile E3 from my perspective, I mean, I'm glad I was able to do it with GameSpot. Um, and I, I mean, I remember tweeting, like, it really, the last two years have affirmed my position that I would rather stay home than work for multiple outlets. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I, um, yeah. If I was still a freelancer, I would definitely want to go for someone. That was kind of always my thing. I'm like, I'm not going unless someone's like, hey, we just like want, you know, we want you to work just for us. Then I would do it. Otherwise, that hustle is exhausting. Yeah. But, you know, going back to, you know, the E3 experience, uh, experiences outside of E3, um, I was kind of glad that the, uh, the omission of the, the pool at the fig, mm. um, gave me an easier excuse to actually just like go back to the hotel after, um, each work day. Yeah. Um, I, I did, I did have a, a sense of something that I never had in the past, a sense of resolve to actually get eight hours of sleep. And, uh, I feel like I, that was I, a- theme this year i saw so many people being like yeah i'm not drinking tonight i'm just going to bed i'm like that sounds great because i'm always yep. looking for an excuse to just get more sleep uh and it sounds like everyone else was in that state of you know you know what's really awful getting four hours of sleep and being hung over for your appointment so or even yeah or even if you i already started feeling these cold symptoms like at the at the afternoon of wednesday mm-hmm. So just in terms of games, which is pretty important for E3, uh, yeah. what were the best games you saw? And of course, you know, what games were you anticipating but disappointed you? See, I don't know if anything really disappointed me. Well, um, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that like Sony didn't need, didn't feel the need to like put No Man's Sky in front of us again. Uh, really quick, that showed to me uh, maturity in their press conference because yeah. I remember even a few years ago you would get like I think it was maybe it was Infamous Second Son or an, I don't remember which one it was, but like an Infamous game or some game of that nature had come out and they still spent time showing it at the press conference and it's like, dude, this just came out or this is about to come out in two weeks and we don't need to, we we're gonna play this soon. You don't need to keep showing us that and they right. didn't feel compelled to do that. Well, speaking of maturity, I mean, I was, I was drawing parallel. I mean, I thought, I, I hate the whole discussion about which company won, but if you did have to ask me, I would say Sony did. And it was sort of like somewhat parallel or somewhat the same level of success that they pulled off with last year. But I think this year's was better because last year, I mean, because they didn't rely, they didn't use nostalgia as a crutch as much as they did last year. Exactly. Um, in terms of games that really impressed me, um, Dishonored 2, Horizon Zero Dawn, um, you know, it just goes back to me just being like one of those very traditionalist, uh, old school, like single player campaign fanboys. Mm. So that's why those two, um, I think this year was good, good for single player story based games. There's a lot yeah, of, was, a lot of good open world stuff. I was surprised at the, I, I mean, I already knew and heard that God of War was going to go like a Norse mythology route, but I didn't realize how much of a drastic change. And it really makes a lot of sense when you think about it, how much of a change it is. And, um, and I was more surprised at the fact that they're still using the same character. I would have yeah. been, been almost like, I, I almost would have been even like happier if the guy still had the same tattoo, but it was a totally different character, just in a different, you know, myth- mytho- uh, mythological universe. And what was crazy about that is if you told me beforehand that, okay there's going to be a new god of war game and it's going to star kratos i'd be like oh god but if you told me like and you're actually going to be really excited for it i would not believe you but yeah they did this, they pulled this strange like what if we kind of made it like behind the back the last of us style and kratos is like this asshole dad who's also like kind of dealing with his anger in a good way but then all other times just being a dick like, and we're going to focus more on the like, narrative instead of just how many times can you slash this demon and then have sex with two women at once. Like, there's this certain, again, maturity to it. And this, this, they took it in another direction in a way that I'm on board for. And I've been completely disinterested with God of War since the second game, I'd feel like. So this is a nice change of pace. Mm, agreed. Was there anything that you missed that you didn't get like a chance to really look into but you're really starting to hear a lot of buzz from the people you were working with or the people who were on the show floor was there anything that was like man i wish i would have played that 
I think there's this there was this game people were talking about called Strafe. Did you hear anything I about that? I haven't heard about that one. No. Like e like EA, um, Devolver had a presence offsite, and that was sort of like the only one that kind of stood out. I mean, I guess doing what I do, I, I am usually quite aware of what's out there, but you know, uh, uh, Strafe was sort of the one that people in the GameSpot war room were chatting about. Mm. Um, just some like random points. Uh, I mean, uh, Tacoma is having a little bit of a design change. That shocked me. Um, yeah. Again, I was watching a lot. I, one of my favorite parts about E3 is are those like those uh, post shows at Giant Bomb. There's something yeah. special about who they get on there, from Ed Boon to Tim Schafer to just all these different people. And they had Steve Gaynor on there, and he was talking about how you know they got to the certain point and realized what they had wasn't good enough, and they scrapped a bunch of it and. I, um, I've always been one of those, if I'm like relating this to how I write, I've always struggled scrapping stuff. There's some part of me that I like to keep things and I like to be like, all right, I'll work with what we got here and kind of mess around with it. So for me, just the idea of all that work and just being like, not good enough for our standards, which is bold and which is, you know, a financial gamble, but man, that shows that they, they care and they know who they are and they realize when they are not acting according to their nature so did you get a chance to play any tacoma or see much of it or were you no well we i I, thankfully i partook in the hands-off demo Mm -hmm. um in the microsoft booth and what's his name the creative director he uh Uh, steve guinness yeah he did the uh he did the demo yeah you know i mean i understand the whole you know concept of like killing your darling killing your darlings as william faulkner said but Mm -hmm. um one i have gotten better as a writer uh, to actually take out entire paragraphs, and you know, it's hard because it it's hard not not so much of like what I wrote, but the fact that I spent time on it. That is, see, time, and not to get all philosophical, but like time is so unbelievably valuable, especially for someone like you who is a full time freelancer. Where yeah. uh, just as soon as you delete a big chunk of something, you realize like that's time I could have spent making more money doing something else, or pitching to someone else uh and i remember when i was a freelancer that was just difficult to do in the same way that um when you when you write a review and you feel like it's you're pretty much good to go you send it in and you're like all right moving on to the next and then your editor is like oh by the way change this entire section or change all of this you're just like oh like it's a gut punch yeah to a certain extent i mean of course i've never been the person who's like no it's good enough let's post it but it's when you have that mindset of you've invested the time and you've done something it's hard to go back and invest new time and change it so yeah it's much more about the time than one of those like my work is the mona lisa if you try to change the nose it's gonna fuck up the entire thing please do not change it i've never been that guy i was trying to name off the other games that kind of just uh that took me by surprise um sea of thieves i was assigned to it initially by GameSpot. i kind of looked at it at the e3 at the xbox showcase in a way i was almost surprised that they gave us hands-on because like you sort of get it you got it by a. I mean, after watching the video at the press conference, and then you get hands on. You pretty much get it after like less than five minutes. You know, it, it was a thrill. Is that a just, good thing just, or a bad thing? I don't know. It was weird. It was like you get a you get the thrill of just being a contributor, whether you're doing things that you can only do by yourself, which is like man the wheel, and then or ask ask a buddy to like you know lift the sails, and all four of you you know pull up the anchor, but then what else is there because i didn't have a grasp of what kind of like long-term goals we can set um and i also felt the need to clarify i mean not to be not to be someone who like has to defend microsoft but um it was interesting just looking at the twitter response when they're showing that that like that video when um they set it up by saying that they brought these people over, these fans over to Rare and they started playing it and they started sounding really enthusiastic. And a lot of people mistook those people for actual like YouTubers slash influencers. They weren't, they were actually just Rare fans. Really? Yeah. So I, I was one of those snarky people only because it felt like watching an exaggerated let's play. But there's also, yeah. uh, it's hard not to be snarky on Twitter. It just happens. But there is so, a certain genuine nature to that instead of getting like a markiplier or someone of that ilk to be like hey you play this because people know you i think it's better to have people who are excited for it to play it and show their genuine response instead of some scripted thing right and um i was glad i got some hands-on time with bloodstained and uh koji igarashi was happy to um 
to sort of like uh, guide you and also take pictures with you because he was, I think, both at the Microsoft Showcase and at the booth presence, they only had one kiosk huh. each time. So he, it, it's almost it seemed like he had all the time in the world to show. I mean, to just make sure you're doing what you need to do. But you know, if you're um, if you're familiar with those Egovania kind of games, mm. um, you pretty much already know what to do. Um, you know, just explore the hell out of the place, and you know, just compare all the stats on on all the weapon pickups you get. I mean, I'm, I thought I was a, I, it was very amusing that this, you know, one of the earlier weapons you pick up was a sword, which you know, this was a nice throwback to Symphony of the Night. But yeah. uh, a couple minutes later, you end up picking up these kung fu shoes, which are actually more powerful than the sword. And you know, I uh, I was very amused by that, and I was very excited about it. So. It, it does feel good though. Like it feels yeah. true. Because of course, now there's this weird thing in my head because of Mighty Number no. Nine. <laughs> like the parallels to so you know Mega Man, Kickstarter, Mighty Number no. Nine, and now it's like Castlevania, Kickstarter, Bloodstain. So it's like, uh oh, is it going to turn out like that where we get these awful trailers, delays, and it looks awful? But uh, I'm happy that it's currently not going down that road. Of course, different games entirely, but in my head because they're a similar route in that way, kind of leaning on nostalgia i'm happy this one's actually cashing the check a little bit better oh yeah um it felt um yeah it felt a lot closer to the igavania games than mighty number no. nine feels like a Mega Man game so that's yeah. one of the reasons why i'm optimistic and any uh, i think trying to think of what others that stood out i mean i i didn't have any problems i'm calling dibs on forts uh, over my other game spot buddies but apparently there were a lot of opportunities for everyone to play um i'm excited about that game as uh Especially because of just, um, I mean, the studio itself faces a challenge for putting all this four by four gameplay. And as uh, Ubisoft's the crew illustrated, you know, making four by four gameplay that's actually fun is really, really, really hard. You know, that whole thing where you have to like think like seven steps ahead just as you're approaching the dirt ramp and whether or not you're going to stick that landing. You know, uh, as someone who doesn't care about Forza and has an issue with just like a certain realistic nature to it that like i don't know I, I i'm more toward like crazy motor storm stuff is this a good balance is this for someone like me who doesn't really care about how the car feels is this more, like maybe a bit more arcadey well forza horizon has always been arcadey yeah been but I, I feel like foil. there's something about those other ones that still didn't grab me i'm not sure if this one's going anymore in either direction or feels more just like a continuation it's god i, I sound like a mark a marketing head but it's really more <laughs> of an evolution mm-hmm. Wow, that uh, was a marketing. Thing. Yeah. That was good. Jeez, that's what I should. I'm gonna borrow that for some one of the games I work on. In the future. Yeah, it's like you know when you're faced with making a sequel, you know, of course you have to try to do things that you know it's not gonna piss off the fans, but you got to try something new. Yeah. Um, the four by four elements not is not gonna be like the I I it doesn't seem like it's gonna be the primary mode, but there isn't really gonna be sort of a primary car type. So. I will be very interested to see like how it grabs or doesn't grab you when it comes out. All right. Well, I'm I'm interested to try it. And, yeah. Uh, of course, you're probably still working on a few more things. Is everything that you've written already out, or you still have a lot to work on in the future? <laughs> no, I have. Um, it was weird. This is my second year doing this for Gamespot, and it becomes this case of like you you look at a certain you look at a de- you go to a demo. And you feel obliged to write about it in some capacity, yeah. especially when they're okay with you just only writing 200 words, I mean 400 words. Yeah. And they never gave me crap about it last year. And um, they were pretty easy going with me this year, but I do feel some sense of obligation to at least write, um, write like at least a few more previews, uh, at least on the stuff that I think if I have a strong opinion or strong, if something grabbed me, I think it should be pretty easy for me to write. Let's just say if I don't need to refer to my notes to actually come up with 400 yeah. words, yep. it's worth the time for me to write. So I'm going to write about Sniper Elite 4. Ooh. I thought um, that series does not get enough credit for its emergent gameplay, especially when, you know, um, from a branding standpoint, it's kind of funny that sniping is just like one component of the game. I mean, you are armed to the teeth with like so many other weapons and, mm-hmm. and you know it's like this cover base shooter as much as a sniping game um i have strong opinions about that i'm gonna write about tacoma uh I'm trying to think i saw some other things that really quick yeah. so are you you mentioned you can kind of like write about whatever you played uh, 
are they going to like accept everything you write? You think like do you th- like? Oh yeah. You have to inform them beforehand, like, hey, I'm gonna write this, this, and this. Or can you be like, hey, by the way, here's my sniper uh, feature. Here's my only because they're they're only because they were the ones who assigned me those demos. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, um, I wasn't assigned Bloodstained, but if I felt really strongly about it, I could have potentially have made a case to write about it. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I saw my list. Uh, we happy few. Ooh, I am interested in reading that from you. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think it's almost like it's too early to tell exactly. How, I mean, it's too early to get excited. That's my position. Um, it's like this first-person, you know, quest-based uh, adventure game. Uh, in the Microsoft press conference, the character like sort of like escapes, like some kind of bomb shelter, and uh, oh, he there's a dream sequence, I guess, and he, the the hands-on demo has him coming out of this bomb shelter and you're in this sort of this very dilapidated town and you just like go anywhere mm. and you just like trigger all these quests and um it was um i couldn't really get a feel for what it's trying to go for but i think i'm gonna double check my footage and just sort of uh review it but you know it had a it had a little bit of a uh, you know, a Bioshock Infinite vibe in uh that's what I got out of the tone just the aesthetic. Extent, yeah, aesthetic and, and tone wise. Yeah. Um so I'm I'm curious. I mean I'm curious to learn more about it. Um I also looked at this new game by Obsidian called Tyrant. Mm-hmm. Um it's sort of like their follow up to Pillars of Eternity, except you're sort of playing on the in, in this universe where it's sort of like the bad the evil kingdom wins. So you're dealing with the aftermath of that. Mm. That's that's the list of games you got? I believe so. I mean, if anything really stood out for me, I would have already brought it up. You know, um, it, it kind of goes out saying that, um, I mean, I'm excited for Death Stranding, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah, I, I'm excited for it, not because of the trailer, but just because, like, it's... <laughs> I think I tweeted this too. It was about like, man, it was Konami preventing Kojima from being weirder? Cause if yeah. so, like, we're in store for some weird ass shit in that trailer. Uh-huh. Like, the fact that Norman Reedus was like, you know, it's cool. Uh, I'll be naked carrying a baby. Like, you could talk about like umbilical cords or whatever. Like, all this weird shit going on and like his ink. Like, no, I'm, I'm all in. So I, I hope it gets as weird as possible. That's, uh-huh. that's usually my goal for video games. Make it weirder. Um, and uh, Resident Evil Seven, you know, yeah. um, um, I have the demo installed, so at some point this weekend I'll play it. I'll tell you what, Resident Evil Seven is sure is no here they lie on PlayStation Four. <laughs> Kidding. All right, so if, if people want to follow your work and continue to you know read your stuff, you'll be on Gamespot. You are at Normal Mode, which is a fantastic Twitter handle. Thanks. Uh, yeah, which it's... which is really which is really silly because I usually play a lot of my. Uh, Games I'm very excited about. You should play them on hard first. Oh, you should. I I have a feeling hard mode's probably taken on Twitter. Oh, well, it was this whole full. It's just this whole idea that if you play a game on normal first and then you play it on hard, you're not playing it on hard at its purest sense because you already know like enemy weaknesses, level layouts. True. Yeah. So you can only play hard with fresh eyes if you don't play normal or any other difficulty. But yeah, usually yeah. most reviewers default on normal. They do like the whatever people are going to play when they play the game kind of thing. All right, Miguel, thank you so much for reviewing E3 with me, going over all of this. You are sick. You should go eat food, and then you should go nap and never think about video games until (laughs) probably later when you have to think more about video games as you're writing about them. Thanks for the invite. No problem at all. Uh, And thanks again, everyone, for listening. And uh, we are moving on to the next E3 wrap-up right after this. Welcome back to part two of the 1099's E3 wrap-up. Uh, with me now is another person who was working at least on the GameSpot co-op stage, as well as the senior editor at CNET and host of Tomorrow Daily. It's Ashley Esqueda. How are you doing today, oh, Ashley? I'm great. See, you did a great job. See, My name I, perfectly pronounced. Right before this, I was just talking so much about your last name because, again... I have had just the full spectrum of people say my last name wrong, and I've had a lot of people with just complicated names, so it's it's hard work doing the prep for this kind of stuff. Yeah, no, some people just lean into it. They just guess. Like, they don't ask. They just say, like, squida, squida. Yeah, I didn't want to do that. Like, and there's also, like, it, 
yeah, I didn't want to go all the way in and say it's so wrong that you're like, all right, I'm going to immediately hang up on this call and we're not going to do this podcast. Right I out. I wouldn't have even judged you. I'd be like, all right, I earned that one. Yeah, uh, no, it's uh, so thank you for, for making the effort. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem at all. And we were also talking before this about how exhausting E3 is, even, uh, you know, it's a few days afterward, but just the entire show is just so much of a drain. It's a fun drain. It's a lot of excitement. It's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I didn't even go, but you did. So just yeah. to kind of... What was your E3 day-to-day experience like this year? What exactly were you doing on the show floor? Of course, every, anybody who hasn't gone to E3 understand that it's a full-on physical, emotional, and visual overload. Oh, yeah. You need to train for it. All day, all night. Like, there, it doesn't stop <laughs> because there's parties afterwards. And the parties start at, like, 7. Like, they don't start at 11 at night like a normal Los Angeles party because everybody says, oh, well, you have to be able to get some sleep so you can show up tomorrow. You're and barely so, like getting into new clothes after the show floor. Sometimes you're going straight from the show floor to a party. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went to the YouTube party in like jeans and a t-shirt. I was just like, well, I guess I'm just going to go in this. <laughs> um, so, yeah. it's uh, So, this year I had a kind of an interesting show. Usually, Tomorrow Daily is four days a week. Uh, we only did one show. We did an hour long or 40, mm-hmm. I guess, 45 minute long show uh, from the show floor. And we just had guests. So, we had Tim Schaefer. Victor Lucas and uh, the community manager Deej from Destiny, so from Bungie, mm-hmm. and just talked about the games that they were having at the show that were on the show floor. Uh, and Victor, in particular, um, is a, more of a host personality. So we talked to him about. He's been going to E3 since it started. Yeah. So we uh, talked it's like to him 22 about twenty two E3s now. I yeah, think. yeah. So he started when it was like back. First it was in LA, then it was in Atlanta, then it came back to LA, and it hasn't left since. Mm-hmm. So he's been going since before it went to Atlanta, which is a very long time ago. And, um, and so we talked to him about sort of the evolution of the show and how big it's gotten at this point. But, um, I spent, uh, on Tuesday, I abused the hell out of my exhibitor badge and got in line (laughs) for Legend of Zelda before the show floor even opened. Oh, wow. You must be like the first one to play that thing. (laughs) Yeah. I will admit, I will fully admit to, to taking full advantage of my exhibitor pass and being able to just walk over there and get in line. Cause I knew if I waited till the show floor is open, I would just never, because I have so many interviews and, you know, just things to do that it was like, I'm never going to have time to play this unless I just go over there right first thing in the morning, Tuesday. And uh, yeah, I was like probably one of the first four groups to go in there, which was great. That's just uh, strategy. Like you need to do total that. Strat- I heard, again, I was not there. I'd heard all the time people were like still in line for Zelda. I'm going to miss this appointment, like, but got to do like it. Four to six hours. I think it was like four to six hour wait. So I think on the last day, first of all, there was this, I don't know if anybody saw this, there was a stampede, like people were running full speed to get to that Zelda booth when the doors opened. <sighs> And then on top of that, um, they, you know, they cut, they have to cut the line off at some point because it is a, it is a set time for the demo. It's 35 minutes. It's a long, it was a long demo. Wait, it's a 35 minute demo? It was a 35 minute demo. It was, it was so long and you walked in there and they did two different demos. So the first one was like exploration. So they just dropped you in the middle of, I'm assuming Hyrule. I mean, they didn't say for sure, but I'm guessing it was Hyrule. A thousand, a hundred years in the future or whatever. And, uh, you're walking around, you're just testing out stuff, you know, picking up apples, climbing trees, chopping them down. I don't know, like mm. just running around the open world, checking things out, killing, killing goblins. And then, um, and then after that's over, you go and they let you play the very first. 15 minutes of the game. So was it just kind of the first 15 minutes isn't like you wake up and suddenly you're like, I don't know, Link, go do stuff. Or is it something different? Yeah. It was like you wake up and there's like a voice calling. Of course, in traditional Zelda fashion, there's a strange voice calling out to you. Is it Navi or like some sort of like new Navi version? I'm assuming so. I don't know. We didn't find out. Like it was, we played long enough that I didn't find out who that voice was, but this voice kept telling me to go somewhere, and then you get your little Sheikah tab- uh, slate, which is like your little tablet that sort of shows you, uh, you know, all of your stats and stuff. It's like you're basically your HUD. Mm. So you pull that up or whatever. And then, um, yeah, it was great. So it, we did that, and, and that was really fun, and the booth was absolutely gorgeous. We did a 360 video uh, for CNET on their YouTube page. So if you, if you did not get to see it and you want to act like you were there in person, you can go to CNET's YouTube page and find that video and um, put on your Google Cardboard or what have you and, and take a look around. See, that sounds way better than waiting in line. I think I, that sounds yeah. like I, all, everything I need from that because I've kind of convinced myself, like, I don't own a Wii U, but this is already enough where I'm like, I should probably get an NX because this yeah. looks really good. I've already convinced myself I'm going to buy the new Zelda, so I think I'm going to wait. I would totally do it if I had your strategy of I'm going to sneak in, use my press badge, and play this early, but otherwise, 
that's way too long of a line. That's like an amusement park line just to it's play a, Zelda. It's such a long line and even longer than most amusement parks. I mean, you wait maybe a couple hours for a ride anywhere else, but it's yeah. just, it was so set and it was such a long demo uh, that people, but, and then you also got really cool swag when it was over. So you mm-hmm. played the first half of the demo and they gave you a stamp uh, on this little ticket. And then they, you do the second half of the demo, they give you another stamp and then you walk as on your way out, there's a little uh, redemption booth. You turn in your ticket <laughs> really? and you got a t-shirt, a legend of Zelda breath of the wild t-shirt, which is pretty rad. Mm-hmm. And then you also got this super sick breath of the wild coin. And it's what? actually really substantial, like kind of a bronzish looking coin. It's so cool. Nate, I checked Within two hours of me doing that demo, out of blind curiosity, I checked eBay to see if people were selling them. Yes, they were. And they oh, were $200. You're about to make some E3 money off this. Forget Epic. No, I'll Put never sell it. Come no on. way. I'll never, ever sell that. I did sell, <laughs> I will say this, I did sell a DS preview of Twilight Princess, the, the HD remake. Oh, uh, they, like, years and years and years ago, I think it was like 2000 and six 2005 mm. the twilight princess remake for Wii. uh they they had a a ds cart in the press kit that was just the trailer which was really dumb because you could just go on youtube and watch the trailer <laughs> yeah i'm not that, sure why they had that that the press kits have changed like they've lost a lot of relevance where they're like here's this mm-hmm. um like usb stick with all this information about total war and i'm like why don't you send me an email and like i can yeah. unzip it or look send on me YouTube. a link yeah just send me a link it's don't like I, it's cool stuff. Let's EPK this. And so, yeah, like, so they, so they had this cart and like a whole, it was a whole thing. And they had a DS skin with Miyamoto's signature on it. Like it was a, it was like a whole packet. And so I've, I just threw it in a box. Like I don't, I mean, I just threw it in a box and I was going through a bunch of my stuff a couple months ago and I found something I'm like, well, maybe somebody will want this. Like, I don't know. There was a Grand Theft Auto Vice City postcard book that was in perfect condition. This DS cart thing. It was like just a handful of stuff. And uh, a Conker, live and reloaded, stuffed Conker. Uh, and so I just che- happened to check eBay to see if, like, anything was actually worth anything. Mm. And sure enough, this DS card is worth, like, $700. What? Did you sell yeah. it for $700? I, I think I got six six fifty for what? it. What? Yeah. Oh so I was just God. like, oh, well, I, I'm like, I think I'm going to sell this. Like, what am I going to do with it? I mean, it has no value yeah. other than Zelda fans. So I was just like, well, I'll just sell it. So I sold it. Paid off some of my some of my credit card debt. <laughs> yeah, E3 is paying for itself at this point. Uh, I know. How many E3s have you been to? Uh, this year, I have been going to E3 since 2000. Oh, whoa. Um, but I did not go the two years that it got weird and they moved it to Santa Monica and made it smaller. Oh, yeah, when they really downsized and then came yeah, back. Yeah, like, the E3 downsize years, I wasn't I wasn't there. Because, I first of all, I was just like, this is not worth it. Why would I want to go to a bunch of hotels and, like, play a game inside a little tiny room? Like, this seems... This seems dumb. Yeah. And then uh, and then on top of that, I, I also did not get invited those years because okay. it was so tiny that they cut off a lot of press access. It was real exclusive. And now Very pretty much exclusive. as someone who has gotten into E3 when I was at a stage where I probably shouldn't have just in terms of like oh, me the too. size me of the too. site I wrote for. It's just like, hey, I work for I love games.biz. Can I please go to E3? And they're like, sure, immediate press badge and every, every one mm-hmm. of your friends. They do that now. But again, you've been to a lot of E3s and a lot of the chatter coming out of this was – uh, you know, a lot of publishers have pulled out. There's a lot of downsizing, not to the scale of Santa Monica when you're saying, you know, there's not that many people going, but there's more floor space. D- did you notice that? Did E3 feel just as big this year? Or are you seeing a trend where maybe because the industry is changing and because publishers can hold their own events to announce games or talk directly to YouTubers and streamers, do you think that E3 is downsizing? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think because obviously there are new developers and new publishers that have floor space. So for example, Oculus Mm -hmm. took up much more floor space than it has previously. And I'm sure it will continue to grow. And as a matter of fact, I would be shocked if Oculus didn't take over uh, EA. I thought they were going to take over EA spot this year um, to be that first. Cause like right as you walk into South hall, that's usually EA spot. And it was always this big kind of, half a horseshoe booth with a whole bunch of titles and big screens all the way around. Uh, And it was an amazing spectacle to like walk into. It was always one of those real kind of like, wow, I'm in E3 moments. Mm -hmm. And I really thought Oculus would would kind of take that over and they didn't yet. 
but I have a feeling we're going to start seeing like HTC and, and valve and you know, they, they'll work together to bring vibe to the show a little bit more than they did this year. And then I also think we're going to start seeing Oculus build out their booth in a way that's going to require them to have a lot more floor space than what they currently have. Um, so I think there's always new publishers and I mean, 2k really stepped up this year and took advantage of EA not being there and they built a full, uh, like downtown new Orleans replica, like, Oh, for no. Mafia 3? Yeah, and it was like they had fortune tellers inside reading people's tarot cards and a jazz band and storefronts. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. I don't know how or how or why they would spend that much money on it, but I mean, they really went for it. And so I always think there's going to be some publisher that wants to go all out and use utilize that floor space. So I didn't feel like the show was smaller in that regard. Mm. Um, but I, I made the argument this year. I think it's time because of like everything you said, Twitch streaming and being able to speak directly to gamers, things like that. I absolutely think the ESA needs to, uh, do the show three days a week. They need to basically pull a Gamescom, which is do the show for industry only three days a week. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you open it up. You let people, you let the public come. You charge for tickets. Let the public come, let them try out the games, let them wait seven hours in line for Zelda, because that's like major hype that your game could use. And you could always, you know, we, one of the games that I very specifically stumbled upon was, uh, here, here they lie. Pretty and good so, game. Pretty fantastic yeah, video pretty, game that is coming out at the end of the year for PlayStation pretty, 4 and PlayStation pretty VR. Pretty legit. But <laughs> I went to the, the expo right after the Sony press conference and, the lines for Resident Evil and and Batman were huge. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm just going to walk around because I love indie games. Yeah. I love indie games. And I saw the booth and it was kind of tucked away in the back and nobody was there. And I'm like, hey, what's this? And they're like, it's a horror game. I'm like, great, I'll sit down. I'm like, can I try it? Yes, absolutely, sit down. And so I tried it. And after I was done, it was kind of cool because they, they had said, uh, the dev team was like, uh, by the way, we just announced this game like three hours ago. So you're literally the first person to play it that's yeah. not on the development team, which was so cool. And, yeah. uh, and, but it was great. I had so much fun playing it. And, um, and I was just like, I, these are the kinds of things that I think gamers need to discover. And I think it's harder for them to discover these kinds of things online because it's so saturated with content. Mm-hmm. Like indie devs, I think it, it's sort of that catch 22 where it's, they have a, they can have a voice that is very loud online, but also on that same note, they have trouble getting found because there's so much. It's so saturated. It's so difficult. And again, like, so again, I, you know, full disclosure, I am a part of the Here They Lie development team. Like, but I'm, I'm not personally making it, but I'm editor and community manager. And, uh, we were announced on Spike TV with Jeff Keighley earlier that day. And then the trailer started to kind of really catch fire after that. Uh, but still, like you said, it's, even at E3, it's really hard to get people to play that demo, especially if you're a smaller game. And PAX was kind of that and, that area for so long. But even right. that's getting so big now that it's hard. Like, there's still major publishers going there. So exactly. it's hard to distinguish yourself even at an E3. And it could be really cool to bring people in and you know have this large group saying, you know, here's our game. You could play it early. We're playing more and more early betas. Why can't we include people at E3? Right, exactly. And the thing is, is, you know, okay, if you want to do it, you know, in a sense of, so let's say Nintendo doesn't want direct footage or whatever of this demo to leak out, well, then you just check phones as you go into their booth. Like, that's fine. You basically say, when you get your ticket back, you get your phone back. Like, okay, cool. Like, whatever. But here's the thing, like, they don't want that because they want people to take pictures of the inside of the booth. They want people to share the, the magic of what's in there. You know, it's like, it's sort of one of those things where it's like, there's kind of the, oh, well, we don't want you filming stuff. Okay, well, they have the theaters for that, so just close them down. Like, close them up. Don't do, you know, if you don't want to show off the trailers or whatever, let people watch them online. But why not? I mean, if they're online, let people come watch them in a really big theater with a huge screen and, and make them experience it in that way, which is great. I mean, it, it just drives word of mouth. So sometimes I'm sometimes I'm a little confused as to why the ESA hasn't opened everything up. But um, maybe we'll might. see that in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I, I maybe, again, maybe like 2020. Yeah, again, things are changing. And like we can't, E3 as it is cannot survive in this state, in my mind, forever. There has to be changes. And I, I think they'll be able to adapt and understand where the industry is going. And yeah. I mean, you played likely a lot at E3. You, so you mentioned that you saw Zelda early and of course, Here They Lie, which, you know, I would love to talk about that, but don't want to focus too much on that. Uh, what else did you see that really grabbed you? What did you see that, uh, was something that either you had no idea about beforehand or maybe you were anticipating and you got there and you're like, oh my God, this is even bigger and better than I thought it was going to be. Um, the first one that comes to mind is We Happy Few. I love the look of that. Which looks amazing. Yeah. looks it, it, completely insane in all the best ways. Um, yeah. 
We happy few. I'm a big indie gamer, so I'll rattle off a bunch of indie games. Uh, loved again seeing Cuphead. I love seeing that they had a platforming element, like an actual level. Now I would love that to you talk about that for a second. Yeah, because I, that game artistically is just magical. Like it looks uh, it's amazing, amazing. And I was talking with Lauren Lanning on this podcast, and that was one of the games he had brought up about just like, oh my god, Cuphead. Does yeah. it play I'm as well as it looks? I'm the CEO of Cuphead hype. Let's all be. <laughs> let's all get this straight here. Uh, I love directors. Cuphead. I get it. it looks Last great. year, it was my game of the show. That's how obsessed with Cuphead I am. I'm like, oh, Cuphead, game of the show, A+. Um, so it absolutely plays uh, as beautiful as it looks. Um, the, the controls are really tight. It's a really tight platformer. Uh, and I also love that they've added an easy mode because that game is flipping hard. It's mm. really hard. It's old school platforming all the way, 100%. Is that... A- is that you think that might be an issue when the game actually comes out because it, it, it can draw on a lot of people who aren't hardcore, you know, quote unquote gamers because of its art style and because of kind of that classic look that maybe people yeah. who don't normally play games would want to play it. Do you think maybe the difficulty might actually be too high a barrier to entry? Well, I think that's why they have easy mode. Okay, and that's fine. Like they threw in an easy mode. They're like, okay, we realize because I played a lot of the boss fights last year, and mm-hmm. I was just even for me who is a person, if you're a platformer, like. I have beaten Champions Road in Super Mario 3D World with all all characters. And so yeah. I am an obsessive platformer. <laughs> I love it. It's my fa- one of my absolute favorite genres of video games. And even for me, it was an extremely hard game. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't it default to easy, correct? It defaults Hell to... no. Okay. No, it is hard. It's not easy. And then you can like flip the switch in the, the uh, options. Okay. But yeah, it's it's tough. Um, that was great. Horizon Zero Dawn was probably my favorite game of the show. Oh, have you announced your game of the show yet? Uh, I think we're going to talk about it on Wednesday sh- or Wednesday or Thursday show this week. Our okay. long show, whenever we publish that, it might be Wednesday or it might be Thursday. Mm. Um, I have a short week this week because we have VidCon. I've got some panels to moderate down in oh, geez, down in Anaheim. Over the place. Yeah, so, so this has been a long two weeks. Um. I even I moderated a panel not for E3 in the middle of E3 at a mm-hmm. different location and then had to come to the to the show. <laughs> it was <laughs> so very so a really long week. Um, but yeah, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was absolutely stunning. I, I I adored the combat mechanics. They they nailed so many things that I have problems with in action adventure games. Uh, one of the big ones is I tend to panic. So if I am getting shot at or whatever. Uh, this is the reason I love like Fallout because you can hit vats. Yep. You can slow down time. Same type of concept, sort of, with Horizon Zero Dawn, where uh, all you have to do is just pull up your weapons, your uh, quick quick swap, mm-hmm. and it slows down time to the point where you can actually just think about what you're doing for a second and then say, "Okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this. This is the kind of enemy I'm fighting." Oh, I like that. Uh, okay, and then you can like choose everything, and then and then you get back out and it's full full speed again. But it it really helps uh, with people who maybe are not like 100% obsessed with games like Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, where Because in Dark Souls, like I'm a panicker. I'm a total panicker. I'm like, oh, God, like, and I just am a button masher. But yeah, and you have to and, be like focused and steady-handed to play yes. Dark Souls. If you start panicking, you're suddenly off of yeah. like a cliff, and you're like, yeah, how did that over. happen? Yeah, it's totally over. And so, um, and so I, for me, like, I, that was really refreshing that they decided to add that element to the game. Um, and it, but, but it doesn't feel like cheating the way Vats does in Fallout. Yeah. Like, Vats feels like super cheating in Fallout. Yeah, and I, you look at something like Dragon Age kind of does a thing where you can like zoom out or pause it and go t- uh, right. turn by turn. But what's cool is with Horizon, it's it's already it more action pause. oriented. Like well, it doesn't yeah. pause exactly, like, but you just keep going. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a good idea for that game. And goddamn, did that game show well? Like I, I think it's 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 gonna be hard to kind of pick out a consensus game of show because a lot of people were just like so enamored by Zelda that seemed like it had the most positive buzz. But if there was like second place or maybe a tie for first, I feel like Horizon was the thing I heard the best stuff about coming out of E3. Yeah. That and like, I mean, obviously the God of War trailer was ridiculous. It, it was, was looked amazing. Everything I didn't know I wanted, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, where everything I was... you didn't know. You didn't want to see Papa Kratos. Like, you didn't know that's but what you wanted to see next. Deep down, but, man, did I want to see Papa Kratos, apparently. It comes God, out with a beard, did. and you're like, man. And you're like, oh, he's old. It's his kid. Ah, like, yeah. everyone's out. It was so amazing. It was because I was talking to someone else about this earlier. If you would have told me beforehand, like, all right, there's going to be a new God of War game. It's going to star Kratos, and you're actually going to be really interested in it. I'm like you're lying i don't care i'm done with god of war i'm burnt out like yeah, i've already slashed over. enough people and had enough like crazy monster fights but when they change it to god of war colon the last of us that's when you get me like that's when it, it looks yeah. like something i actually want to get into 
Yeah. So, my yeah. co-host Jeff Canada was saying, he's like, you know, my favorite thing about that is they took a franchise that was very tired and sort of very formulaic and they elevated it in such a way that I'm interested again. Yeah. Like I'm back. And they almost made it less crazy and somehow that made it better. When you tone it back and you have that kind of behind the back view where the combat still looked really fun and I hate to use mm-hmm. the word visceral, but visceral works with God of War. Uh, yeah. But they toned down the speed of some of it and kind of the insanity and mayhem of some, of some of it. And that made it, to me, just infinitely more interesting. Again, I haven't played it. I don't know. Maybe it ends up that scene is the start and it suddenly gets crazy again. And then it gets nuts. Yeah, yeah we don't know. I'm hoping not. It looks like if they can show some restraint, if they can show some maturity in how that game is actually designed and how it plays, I, I'm just infinitely interested in what that can do. Yeah. Uh, was yeah. there anything else that stood out? Um, I mean, Zelda, for sure. I know a lot of people are talking about it. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm not as sold on Zelda as so many other people are. Like, I think it looks great, and I'm excited about it. Uh, it certainly doesn't feel like any other Zelda game I've ever played, but it, it does feel like a Zelda game, so I'm happy about that. Um, but I, I am very much... Uh, one of the things I noticed was... So while you're playing the demo, yeah. you get your Sheikah Slate. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you want to do is, as a Wii U owner, you want to look down at your gamepad which it should be your Sheikah Slate, right? Yeah, you're pretty much Link holding a Wii U gamepad. Not not so. Not so. What? Um, you look down at your gamepad, and it's like if you want to play Breath of the Wild on your gamepad, just tap here. Oh, do you think that's so, maybe an NX thing where they don't want to tie that too much to the Wii U? A hundred percent, yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh. And it was, such a, it was such a bizarre feeling to me to be playing it going like, I don't want to play it on this. I want to play it on whatever it's meant to be played on. Yeah. Like, this is not meant to be played on this machine. Oh, that's going to be weird. And the the issue, I, the only thing I saw with Zelda that kind of threw me off is I think it's very pretty and I like the art style, but it looks like a game that's struggling to find exactly where it is between the two generations. It looks a little bit like we had to stick with what the Wii U can do. And I'm guessing the NX will look better, but you can't. Yeah. I doubt it, they're developing two different games for. They're not. And so not Aonuma specifically said uh, it will be, it will look different visually on the NX, but it will be the same experience. So it's the same game. I hope it looks a lot better. Again, I I, I think it's very pretty, but it was on the stream I was watching. And I don't think it was just the stream. It looks a little no, frame rate, a little chuggy, a little like still not exactly operating exactly 100%. When you hit a lot of that grass, those yeah. big patches of grass, it's it's there's some slowdown. And also cut there's some jagged, there's some jagged bl- uh, blades grass there. There's but, for sure. It's it's certainly a very ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm I mean, they've got almost a year to polish it and that's great. Like yeah. I'm really I'm happy about that, but um, yeah, I don't. I don't want that game on Wii U. I don't. I literally could not care less about that game on Wii U. I'm in the exact same boat because I've not bought a Wii U because that thing was only gonna last like three or four years and people will not care anymore. Uh, yeah. so- I saw. I saw somebody at the Nintendo booth in the back with uh, no joke, like a like I saw an Asian guy with a handcuffed like metal case handcuffed to his wrist, and I'm like, if that is the NX or maybe it's a control something, like oh, he was walking. He kind of walked out and was waiting for somebody and then kind of looked around and went back in the room and then he came back out and then the person who was there like escorted him away and I was like, oh my God, maybe there's an NX controller inside there or something. Like maybe they're showing it to executives or I don't like, I don't know oh what my, was going on. For the sake of journalism, like, you should have tackled that man and stolen that. I wanted to so bad. Trust like, me, I did. But it that... seemed like the big bodyguard next to him would have probably murdered me. So I, I chose. You I chose could have gotten a group together. And just Ugh. rolled in hard. You would have had the best like Monday show or the best of, I guess Wednesday is the one you're doing. You would have had the most popular show ever. It's like, hey, by the way, here's the NX. I, I tackled a man and stole it. I should have just Facebook lived it, right? Yeah. Right. All of it. It would have been great. Yeah, Periscope that. It would have been great. Uh, was there anything that you saw that you were interested in beforehand that kind of didn't show well or maybe even just full on disappointed you? Uh, so Resident Evil. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I've heard some mixed things about this. Yeah. Okay. So. Now that we're sort of getting into VR games, there are some standards and practices that a lot of companies are using for controls mm. that Resident Evil decided not to do. And so so in in Here They Lie, like I'll, this great comparison because they're both horror games. They're both survival horror games. Okay. So in Here They Lie, you have uh you have the ability to look around with your headset and that's great and you can um you can move forward and backwards and strafe left and right with the left thumbstick. With the right thumbstick, if you turn right or left, you go left or right, whatever d- direction you want to go in. You turn, but it's a 40-degree turn. So and it almost fades with it, too. Right. There's, like, a fade there. It's not – it's very smooth. It's not jarring. 
Um, and, and Resident Evil, and there's a lot of VR games that are choosing to do that, that sort of 40-degree turn, mm-hmm. like, seems to be kind of a standard practice right now. Um, because because we are used to turning our camera with the right thumbstick. Yes. And so you have to kind of jar people out of that. You have to make people stop doing that. So to do 40 degrees makes it like, oh, well, I should be looking around with my headset. It sort of forces you to look around with the headset, which is great. So... In Resident Evil, they have they decided, no, we'll just do it the way uh, regular games are. And so you can actually mm. swing the entire character around uh, smoothly with the right thumbstick. And that is very bad when, let's say, for example, uh, you are looking at a piece of paper very closely at a table. That's on top of a table. Yeah. And you don't think because... By default, as a gamer for so long, your first instinct is to swing the right controller and turn, and your what you're looking at, uh, your head doesn't move, but your whole body and game. Oh, that doesn't work. Is that like almost like jarring or like does it make uh, you like nauseous? People got sick. Yeah, got, there were a lot of people who got motion sickness from that, and I it's it's it was very. I did not get motion sickness, but I understand how people would get sick. Yeah. Um. And, and it was, I mean, it was scary. Like, listen, I was terrified. It was, they did an excellent job of setting the scene and, and freaking me out while I was playing it. It was great. But, but the controls, I mean, they're going to have to figure something out because this is, that is a game that is going, a lot of people are going to buy it. And if it starts making people sick, Sony is going to have a real mess on their hands. Not only literally because they're yeah. going to be vomit everywhere in people's houses, but also uh, they're going to have one figuratively with sales because people are going to hear word of mouth about, oh, my kid did, played this and he threw up and I'm not going to buy that for them. Like they cannot have any games in the launch window that make people sick. They cannot. And That, and that launch window is so unbelievably important because I don't feel so like peak. people are even near sold on what VR can do yet. That's the problem. Like, right. A lot of people haven't even put the headset on for anything yet. And one of the right. things that was just, uh, I know, again, this is not going too behind closed doors, like w- with the development team for Tan Gentlemen, they're like, we have to nail how this feels. We have to. Otherwise, people are just going to not, they're like, I'd rather just play this without the, without the headset because it doesn't feel good. And that's just so critical. And again, like you said, if it's at the launch window and they all the games feel like garbage, that's not good. Well, and here's the thing. If it's during the launch window and it's a prestige title like Resident Evil 7 where people specifically buy PSVR to play that game in virtual Mm -hmm. reality and it makes them sick, they'll never play virtual reality games again. Yeah. Like you can't – that level of title, that that level of franchise, that is a triple A franchise. And listen, I know Resident Evil 6 was garbage. We all know. The hottest of garbage. It was a hot pile of garbage. Almost as hot a pile of garbage as I was last Thursday night after the show was over. (laughs) But – but it, the thing is, is it's Resident Evil. People are excited about it. People are excited about VR. They have to make it right. And and if they don't get it right, I really have, I have some real concerns. I have some real concerns. One more big question for you. Uh, because coming out of E3, a lot of people were talking about uh, the PlayStation VR lineup does look pretty good. Uh, yeah. Especially since a lot of the Vive and the Oculus stuff, there's a lot of tech demos out there. There's a lot of Steam stuff you can buy that's like $3 and suddenly you're just at a pool and you're throwing a, a like a beach ball and that's about it. Uh, did E3 convince you that it is worth making the investment in PlayStation VR and to kind of branch off of that? Do you think PlayStation VR is set up to be the most successful because so many people already have PS4s and it's just an accessory to that? Um, I pre-ordered PSVR the first day. Mm-hmm. Even though I was very uncertain, okay. and I and I thought about it, and I I maybe regretted it for a couple of days, and then I said, well, I'm just going to stick it out until E3 and sort of see what's going on, and then maybe I'll like, cancel it or I'll keep it or whatever. And after E3 was over, I said to myself, I've never been more excited about PlayStation VR. Cool. I'm ready. I I'm glad I got my pre order in right away. Um, so in that way, yes, I'm I'm I I am very. I was very pleasantly surprised at the breadth and and depth of games that were available to try. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought the Batman thing was cool; it was a little short, uh, but I get it. These are like sort of experiences. But other games like Tethered and Volume Co- uh, Volume Coda and Psychonauts VR, uh, Res Infinite looks so awesome. Uh, there are a lot of really good games. Uh, Farpoint looked pretty cool with the aim controller. I played oh, yeah. that a little bit, and uh, that was that was sort of weird and intense. I wanted to sort of run in place while I was jogging, like that was kind of bizarre. But um, 
but I, I think overall they have a very good solid slate for launch. Um, and I, I do think that console VR is poised to be the, the entry point for almost everybody at higher level virtual reality, like not Google cardboard, just, I mean, not mobile based. Yeah. So, you know, gear VR, whatever, uh, anything beyond like console and above going towards Oculus and Vive. If you think about it this way, this is, I would imagine Sony will put together a great bundle for the holidays and their ad campaign will be for the price of just the headset for PC. You can get a PlayStation for and yep. a PSVR, a full set of PSVR with the, with the move controllers and the camera, like everything you get that for, for the same price or even maybe a little less than an Oculus or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, and, and that's the reason why I don't have Oculus and I don't have, you know, I don't have Oculus and I don't have Vive right now because I got to upgrade my rig. Like I have to do that. And that's going to cost me anywhere in the neighborhood of, you know, if I build it myself, I could do it for 1600 bucks. Uh, or if I want someone else to build it for me because I'm lazy, that's like, you know, same build, probably 2,500. So it's yeah, kind that's of before you even get the headset. That's before you even get the headset. Yeah. So it's just one of those crazy things where it's it's so expensive to get in if you want in now and you have an older computer. Um, that I think a lot of I think a lot of it is going to really depend on console to sell. I Beyond absolutely agree. the masses. Yeah, it, it's it's so critical right now because I'm not sold yet. But uh, even outside of the fact that you know I'm working for a team that's making a game in VR, what's more important is I just want to see virtual reality succeed i want it to see i want to see it become a big thing it seems extremely cool and i think this is the best way right now for you don't have to be an insane early adopter and spend all this money to make sure your pc is fully upgraded and optimized and then buy the headset and then wait for one good game out of just a sea of trash uh yep. tech demos so yep. I'm, I'm i'm rooting for it and e3 did make me feel better about it because i was kind of feeling down i was like oh maybe we're not ready for vr maybe we're just not there yet I know. Maybe it's like the 2.0 of the really terrible VR from the 90s at the county fair. Like where you had the little level and you had to go and like find (laughs) the other guy and stuff. It was just really bad. Yeah, I was really worried we're at the level of where it's like, okay, well, we might just forget this kind of like motion controls came and went, but this might even be shorter. Oh, no. So I'm happy that we're both in agreement that it looks like the least going somewhere. So uh, if people want to check out your coverage of the show, the coverage you've already done, the coverage you're going to do, where to find you on social media, where should they do all that stuff? Oh, you could just go to my, uh, the best uh, hub for all my junk is uh, Twitter. So just go to twitter.com slash Ashley Esqueda, E-S-Q-U-E-D-A. And um, I, I post stuff there all the time. So, and if you want to watch Tomorrow Daily, we talk about future tech a lot of the time. And uh, sometimes we'll mention video games and pop culture. You can go over to tomorrowdaily.com and that'll send you right to our CNET page. So pretty good stuff. And then of course, uh, CNET and GameSpot, you can always like check out for all of the big coverage of pretty much any convention that happens. All right. Perfect. Ashley, thank you so much for giving the full breakdown of E3. I now officially feel like I'm there, minus your hangover on uh, Thursday and Friday. So, oh, well, uh, you can still make that happen. You can still make <laughs> oh, that happen. No, I, I don't want to do that, but you know, I'll, I'll pretend. I'll pretend. Okay. So, right. again, thank you very much, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.